All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie. All Things Techie Podcast, brought to you by two tech junkies, Justin Dawson and Simon Lang. For more, visit www.allthingstech.ie for all things techie. Welcome along, it's the All Things Techie Podcast. I'm Justin Dawson. This is episode 10. And unfortunately, Simon Lang is not joining us on this episode or next episode, episode 11, as it is the Easter break. And we have been meaning to sit down and record for quite some time. But between family issues and different things, and I, I have to say, most of the holdups uh, listeners has been on my side more than Simon's. So we haven't got a, a chance to sit down together. So Simon said, just go ahead and uh, produce the programme, which he left it all up to me. So uh, thanks for that, Simon. Thanks for that. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with the programme, as always, you can do so by visiting our website, www.allthingstech.ie. In this episode, episode 10, it's all about exciting your ears because we were invited to the Audio Engineering Society convention uh, that took place in the convention centre in Dublin. Myself and Simon Lang attended. Now, if you do not know what the Audio Engineering Society is all about, it is the only professional society devoted exclusively to audio technology. Founded in the United States in 1948, the AAS has grown to become an international organisation that unites audio engineers, creative artists, scientists and students worldwide by promoting advances in audio and disseminating new knowledge and research. Currently, the association has over 12,000 members, which are affiliated to more than 75 AES professional sections and more than 95 AES student sections around the world. Section activities may include guest speakers, technical tours, demonstrations and social functions. Through the local AES section events, members experience valuable opportunities for professional networking and personal growth. I had the pleasure of listening to the Sound of War, Capturing Sounds in Conflict Zones by Anna Monte from Delta Soundworks in Germany. In a field recording, preparation is key. But when preparing to record in a war zone, where do you even start? Anna Monte shares her experiences and have a listen to this. Yeah, so this was one of the scariest days of my life. We were about two kilometers from an ISIS-controlled city and we were visiting the front, and as I said before, uh, we should change it to Murphy's Law, this movie. And even though we joke about the, the movie being cursed, I'd actually say we were very blessed because we dodged a lot of bullets metaphorically and literally. And this place that we visited, they even show a tank that they took control back from uh, the Islamic State. And the next day, this place was bombed, and a lot of people got killed. So. Yeah, that was really scary to hear about that. So as I said, I really wanted to record authentic uh, musicians when I was uh, there on location, and especially I wanted to record Kurdish music. Um, They were very uh, persecuted, and they weren't allowed to play their music for a long time, so uh, the musicians there were very proud to show their instruments and their music, and that's why it was really important for me to 
record something authentic. I obviously didn't have a studio microphone or something fancy, but I had my Zoom H6 that I could plug in with a quarter inch, and we were passing downtown, and this was a music uh, store, music instrument store, and the guy was just jamming, and I asked him if I could record him, and again, it didn't, uh, we didn't use it in the movie, but at least we used it in the trailer, so there's a snippet. Anna Monte and talking about the sound of war, capturing sounds in conflict zones. We hope to have Anna at a later stage talking about her touring around um, different places that she has been and recording sights and sounds. And it, it goes into the ethics of like when you are bringing simple microphones, simple equipment to a war zone country and you're, you're scared that you might lose the equipment and then how to try and picture the sounds without manipulating the sounds to bring it into your listeners and make them feel what you felt without manipulating it in a certain way. So th these are all realistic sounds that she used to make it a surround sound environment. And we hope to have Anna Monte from Delta Soundworks in Germany. She will be on a later podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with Simon or myself, you can do so at Justin or Dawson is my Twitter handle. Simon's is at Simon Lang AV. We are not doing this uh, podcast as a video podcast simply because Simon is not in the studio with me for episode 10 or episode 11. And you can also visit our website www.allthingstech.ie Now, another talk that I went to was MPEG H and 3D Audio Goes VR uh, with Jürgen Herr, International Audio Laboratories, Adrian Mertza and Nils Peter. The MPEG H 3D Audio is a recent MPEG standard that was designed to represent and render 3D audio experiences while supporting all known production paradigms, channel-based, object-based and higher-order ambisonics-based audio and reproduction setups, loudspeaker or headphone. As the audio production world moves forward to embrace virtual and augmented reality, VR and AR, MPEG H found considerable adoption in reuse and re in recently finalized VR standards such as MPEG-I OMAF which stands for Omnidirectional Media Format, VR Industry Form VR-IF guidelines as well as 3GPP VR Stream Virtual Reality Profiles for Streaming Applications 
where it was selected as the audio standard for VOR content delivered over 5G networks. In this workshop, it describes how MPEG-H technology finds sway into the new domain and provides an outlook to where MPEG-I 6DOF VOR AOR future. Have a listen. Uh, so, you've heard already about MPEG-H audio. It's a very complex new uh, audio system designed in MPEG and it's currently the next generation audio standard for broadcast, streaming and VR applications. And I just put here some nice pictures with, uh, with for example, on the left side, a live chain, which was used in, uh, in live broadcast, terrestrial and satellite. And uh, also you see here some streaming application, which is developed by Vue, a set-of-box company that supports naturally MPEG-H audio. Why are all these things relevant for VR? Because in the end, having a, uh, the same system used for all applications, you will benefit for live streaming in VR or for OTT delivery in VR. You will benefit of all this deployment and having a common solution will help and increase the chances that VR becomes successful or more successful than, than in the past. A um, few of the key features of, of MPEG H audio um, interactivity. I think that's one of the most uh, important uh, aspects for next generation audio. It brings, for example, <coughs> options to personalize the content. So the user is not anymore consuming the content as, um, as was designed. You can manipulate, you can interact, you can adjust it to your own preference. So for example, in a soccer game, you can replace the commentator with a biased commentator, or you can change the language. You can repand objects, for example, the audio description. If you have somebody in the same room that needs audio description, you can pand audio description to a one speaker on the rear surround, for example, so that the only person that needs that uh, audio description can listen to it. Uh, also, it brings immersive sound. Uh, we've seen that you can carry the system can carry much more uh, channels and objects. So you can have sound coming from all directions in your living room. Of course, it's challenging to put speakers on the ceiling. So that's why we have worked very hard in the past years to develop new technologies for soundbars. And you see today more and more soundbars available on the market, which can create this immersive sound without any speaker on the, on the ceiling and just using the reflections of the room to create the immersive experience. Also, the universal delivery is a core aspect of MPEG-H audio. So in the past, you've seen that there are always some loudness issues between playback on a mobile phone or on a TV set or an AVR and so on. With the advanced tools of MPEG-H, you have always the best experience independently of, of the device that you're using it on. So being a soundbar or a mobile phone with a binauralizer, for example. I said, the, the system was designed from the beginning, uh, taking into consideration broadcast and streaming applications. So we've learned from the past and also the drawbacks of the previous and the codecs, and we've integrated all the aspects which were relevant uh, in the past and not fulfilled by, for example, HAAC, into the audio codec. So now the audio codec deals with all these aspects, for example, um, the flexibility on loudspeaker layouts, integrated loudness and DRC, downmix and rendering of audio objects, 
carrying the audio metadata. So now you have a complex set of data which fully describes each audio scene and everything is carried down in the audio bitstream. This is not left outside on some magic uh, system layer to take care of this. This is burned down in the audio bitstream to make sure that everything is always aligned and synchronized with the audio data. And most importantly, with this approach, the content creator has full control over the, these new features. Of course, when you, you are a broadcaster and you have, you're broadcasting a sports game, maybe you don't want the user to, to remove the dialogue. Maybe you want to allow the user only to increase the dialogue with 6 dB or, or 12 dB, but not uh, attenuate it or remove it. With this complex set of metadata, you're still in charge. So you can fully control the user experience in the broadcast center. Now, I have to say a lot of this MPEG H3D audio goes over my head and it's very scientific. And uh, I have to say that it's something that is, I, I, I hope it's in its infancy, but it's moving fast and rapidly and something that I'll have to do more reading into. Now, regarding the, the deployment of MPEG H audio, um, also answering the question from earlier, this standard was adopted already in, uh, in DVB and ATSC, two of the largest uh, specifications for broadcast worldwide. And uh, the ATSC 3.0 version of, uh, was also adopted in, uh, in South Korea and even deployed since 2017. So this was a, a big milestone for, for next generation audio, was the first use of a next generation audio system in broadcast and even today, it's still the, the only terrestrial use case for, um, for next generation audio. And because of this, of course, you expect that many devices already natively support MPEG audio. And obviously, the biggest Korean manufacturers like Samsung and LG, they have native support for MPEG audio. And others, uh, like set of box manufacturers like Inopia or Skywards and other companies, they already have support for MPEG audio. And this is available for broadcast or for streaming applications. And even more recently, China has uh, selected MPEG-H3D audio as the audio system for, um, for their 3D specification for UHD TV services. So we can expect many, many more devices to, to be available on the market in the next years. If you're a listener and you know a lot about this new format, MPEG-I, OMAF and MPEG-H, please get in contact with All Things Techie. We'd love to have you on the programs. If you would like to actually become a guest contributor to one of our podcasts and one of our shows, please do get in touch with myself, Justin Dawson. Uh, you can tweet me at Justin or Dawson or Simon Lang at Simon Lang AB if you want to have a guest appearance on the All Things Techie podcast. Or you can visit our website www.allthingstech.ie and send us an email from there. The All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E media.ie. Now, one of the uh, topics that really caught my attention was a tutorial on Bluetooth audio and in the car. The chair was Johnny McClintock from Qualcomm, Qualcomm Technology International, Francesco Condrali from Qualcomm and Janus Data from Audio Precision, along with Richard Hollinshead from MQA in Huntington, UK. 
The latest cars have advanced sound systems and many people use their mobile phones to assess music while driving yet relatively little attention has been given to the wireless audio link between the phone and the car sound system. This tutorial will describe the use of Bluetooth with enhanced audio to connect in-car entertainment systems and benefits this will bring to users. The developments will ensure that drivers and passengers can enjoy CD quality or better without using cables, audio and rear seat passengers can enjoy synced gaming audio. Many drivers are spending more time in the car with some commuters regularly stuck in for hours in rush hour traffic. Sound and in-car entertainment systems are therefore very attractive to drivers and a valuable differentiator for car manufacturers. Advanced sound systems which in some cars cost several thousand dollars and include more than 10 speakers are standard featured in some new cars and important upgrade options on most cars and represent a significant aftermarket opportunity. Have a listen. What, if, what I want to do is position uh, what, 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 went wrong, what went wrong at the beginning and what can go wrong now. Unnarty, it, it lies with uh, the SBC codec. Uh, which is the mandated standard codec for the Bluetooth sync. Um, now there are moves afoot to replace that, but certainly uh, 10 years ago when it was introduced, it had problems. At its lowest, uh, Bitpool, which is Bitpool 32, rolled off at about 16k, so you, you wasn't even that you would get the CD quality, you were barely getting the FM quality. And um, you also had problems with uh, audible artifacts, and I'll show you some graphs that I picked up. So we, Ten years ago, we were asked uh, as a we're, uh, the Aptex Codec, the team behind the Aptex Codec, were asked by a company called CSR to get into Bluetooth and try and improve the user experience by bringing Aptex into Bluetooth. And we did that, um, and we did that simply because Aptex is a <coughs> is a consistent uh, uh, performance codec. It's got a flat frequency response from 20 hertz through to 20 kilohertz. Um, and also we started this program of uh, interoperability testing. So any device that comes out with the Aptex codec on board has gone through this IOP testing. Um, so we know that um, we're happy with the performance that, of that device. Just to put a, a, a little bit more intelligence around that, um, Aptex has a codec whenever it's being tested. It either works or it doesn't work. It's very binary. It doesn't kind of half work. What we noticed that on a system, from a system level perspective with the, um, with the, uh, those devices that it was the RF or the sample rate converters were the two primary source, sources of issues. So we took it on ourselves to do these system level tests and if it passed, brilliant, it got you know, it carried the Optex logo. If it failed, we worked with the OEMs to solve that problem. So we see, it, we, even today, we see a 15% failure rate um, and we work with the OEMs to solve that. So maybe you could expand that statement of saying that if we're seeing 15% failure rate for those devices that carry Aptex and we solve it, those devices that don't carry Aptex, you could expand that to say that maybe they do have a 15% failure rate as well. So there's still problems that exist with um, the, 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 the Bluetooth connectivity. We got involved with uh, Bluetooth 10 years ago. Sennheiser was the first uh, OEM, and we got involved with Sennheiser because we did work with them with their professional performance microphones. They got into Bluetooth and they said there's a problem with SBC. They don't want to, Sennheiser didn't want to associate their name with uh, a substandard performance, so they asked us to get involved, and that's how we got 
uh, Aptex into the first Bluetooth product 10 years ago. And this is where we are today. We've got four and a half billion encoders. Um, and part of that journey has um, been with CSR. CSR, uh, as was, was a company very much dedicated to Bluetooth uh, headsets and speakers, so reproducing it. And then CSR was bought by Qualcomm. Qualcomm's Snapdragon, uh, I think, has 50 to 60 percent occupancy in uh, in handsets. Um, and Aptex is now based, baked into the, the Snapdragon SOC. So every device that's going into the market um, that is an Android device has got the Aptex encoder. So it's a super story, uh, not just uh, for Aptex, but to an extent as well, the fact that Aptex came out of Queen's University Belfast 30 years ago. Um, the fact that there's a piece of IP in most people's pocket um, on the planet um, you know, gives me a tremendous amount of pride for being a, an Irish-based technology, and that's part of the reason that uh, I wanted to come down and re- you do this workshop as well as talk about the success of an, of, uh, an island of Ireland uh, company and the IP that we've provided. This is the All Teens Techie Podcast. I'm Justin Dawson. Simon Lang not in studio with me today for this podcast episode, episode 10 or episode 11. We are doing episode 10 and episode 11 back to back. And if you like to get in contact with the show, please do get in contact by emailing us um, or by visiting our website, www.allthingstech.com. Ie. You can also tweet me at Justin or Dawson, or you can tweet Simon at SimonLangAV, and uh, you can use the hashtag. Hashtag is All Things Techy for All Things Techy. Finally, from the Audio Engineering Society, they did an offsite tour to Windmill Lane Studios, and I've never been in Windmill Lane Studios despite the amount of times I have driven past it going to work. And what a studio it is! Have a listen. And um, Windmill Lane Studios has been around for a long, long time. Um, it's it's uh, founded in 1978, around the corner from us on Windmill Lane, and for 11 years it lived in a different premises. And um, it started making its reputation in that premises with uh, bands like U2. Um, for the last 30 years, though, it's been in this building. And um, it ha- this building has much more of a legacy than the previous building, because not only did U2 do a ton of stuff here, but tons of other bands. And, and I'll go into that when we're in studio one. There have been bands like um, ACDC and Metallica and REM and Lady Gaga, more recently Ellie Golden. Ed Sheeran, um, Rudimental, Anne Marie, you know, so the script, Herbie Hancock, Kate Bush. I mean, it doesn't matter to us. It really does not matter to us what style of music or what your project is. We'll take your money anytime. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, to us, it's, to us it's, a, it's obviously a living work. Studio and we have, we're, we're very pri- privileged and lucky to have clients that we have. Uh, uh, people like Kate Bush, who I admire, and, 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 and many others. David Bowie was here, and all sorts of people. Um, did I mention the Rolling Stones? I think I might have. Loads of different bands, and, um, and film soundtracks. So, the studios that we have are, are kind of, they have classic old gear, and they have right up to the minute Pro Tools and, and Logic. The staff here are generally... Uh, Pro Tools and Logic kind of experts. And when I say experts, I mean we, we 
I was one of the people who contributed to the Worldwide Average Proposals Curriculum um, back in the day. And we would have, we are an average post school, so, so our staff are, are, are certified proposals experts and also avid, um, or also Apple uh, logic experts as well. We have some lovely outboard gear that's nearly as old as me. Um, you know, 1176, that kind of stuff, LA compressors, that, that kind of thing. And clients expect a mixture of both, don't they really? You know, they want to, if you're a rock band, you want to pump something through an 1176 or, or whatever. And then you'd expect to see the software version of it, be it UAD or be it whoever, you know, like on board the, the Pro Tools rig. So they're all Pro Tools HDX. We have Genelec monitoring, although we have monitors that we bring in and out of all the studios, to be honest, different sets. Uh, at the moment, it's a pair of Jennies, 8040s connected to a big sub-base unit. Um, it just helps, that sub-base unit is like fixed at 80 hertz. And what happens is that, I'm just thinking, it's either 80 or 120, I keep on getting mixed. Uh, in Studio 3, we do film. And music is at, music's at 120 and film is at 80, I think, that the cutoff some of you will know. Uh, I just remember, I forget off the top of my head. We cut off frequency for the um, the crossover point for the base unit is either 80 or 120, it doesn't matter. But but you will find that that really takes the pressure off these guys in a huge way. And these get much louder and much clearer as well. So uh, in, in recording studios, typically we would look at isolation, which means that the sound doesn't travel outside of the room. And a, a lot of people get that mixed up up between isolation and then the, the quality of the sound within the room, which is the room acoustics itself. And, and the, we, we're lucky with isolation because this used to be like a, a tram power station, like in the 30s. Yeah, so it's like, seriously, these are big, heavy walls. Um, so that tends to block the sound going out. <coughs> but then we, we have diffusers and stuff inside just to, so that the sound doesn't get trapped and we, have, we don't have any gnarly. So typically what would happen is that a band would set up in here, let's say drums, and we would position microphones to capture the sound and the microphone leads would go into a thing called a stage box. And that stage box is connected to the mixing console so that when you put it into the input one on the stage box, it comes up to input one on the channel on the SSL. From there we route it to Pro Tools, which is a digital recording system, and we record it onto hard drive. We play it back from that system back into the mixing console onto a different row of faders so that we can just then hear the sound, play with it. We can EQ it, we can change its tone, we can, we can give it various different environments, spatial environments. That can That's all from me, Justin Dawson, for episode 10 of the All Things Techie podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you did enjoy this whirlwind tour of the Audio Engineering Society's convention in Dublin from March of this year. And you can visit uh, the Audio Engineering Society's website at aes.org. And uh, just do tell them that you were sent over there by the All Things Techie podcast. Loads of photos up on our website from the Audio Engineering Society um, convention. And you can also view our show notes on All Things Tech. .ie. From me, Justin Dawson, and Simon, who can't be in studio today, thank you for listening. The 
All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie.